0: another episode of Back Alley Alchemist. A little bit late this week, literally just because I spaced out. You know, like you do. Nah, not really. I've I've been busy uh, trying to do job stuff. You know, living, uh, uh, trying to live. Otherwise, not really any other personal updates. I painted something, I I made a ring, I got to bust my anvil out for the first time in forever. That was very exciting, but really that's about it. I It is um, October 3rd at the moment, so spooky season is upon us. And I found a pumpkin patch nearby, and I'm very, very excited about it. I want to go to the pumpkin patch. I am going to go to the pumpkin patch. I've also been trying to fucking get some apples. If any- I would like to go get some apples, too. I want to make cider. I need to do all of the spooky season things. It's- it is time. I wait all god- all goddamn year to do the things that I like. And this is the one month I get to do the things that I like. And I can't find anywhere to pick an apple. I don't know what that is. I guess if I tried harder. I bet I just need to try harder. Anyway, considering the arrival of spooky season, I have an episode for you guys about witches. Which happen to be the most iconic bits of of spooky season. You know? The most iconic. You think October, you think Halloween, you imagine a bitch in a witch hat, right? So it's a witch episode. Now this lady, the first witch, is one of my favorites. Probably only because it was one of the very first folklore articles that I ever wrote when I like first started getting serious about writing my articles like years ago. I went for this bitch first. Uh, well, I mean I did Black Shuck and all the, all the all the standard guys, but she was the first one that I had never heard of before until I started writing about her. And I love her. Like many of the cool folklore uh, entities that I end up researching and talking about and writing about, this lady is from the UK. And her name is Black Annis, often called the Dane Hills hag. So Black Annis was found in English folklore, and she persists in tales which continue to strike fear in those with a dark imagination. She is also referred to as Black Agnes or Black Anna. The stories say that she wanders the English countryside at night, searching for sustenance. What do you think her sustenance is? What do you think a creepy witch eats? I'm taking guesses. This hag dwells within a cave in the Dane Hills and the light of the moon illuminates her long iron claws and her blue face as she ventures out to hunt. Sustenance for her is human flesh, and the flesh of children is her preferred meal. Her cave is adorned with the bones of all of the children that she has consumed. So if you walk into her cave, you will find uh, bone chimes. Uh, but, but they're human bone chimes. They're little little kid rib cages. It's, it's not fanciful. It's, it's fucked up. Stories of Black Annis have frightened the people of, ooh, Leicestershire? I hope I pronounced that right. Leicestershire. Leicestershire? Leicestershire. I don't know. A small area in the English Midlands. Poor centuries. It is said that the windows of the homes in the area were intentionally built very small for the sole purpose of preventing the flesh-hungry hag from peering inside so that she can choose her prey, or so that she couldn't fit more than one arm inside as she reached in to snatch up unsuspecting children. The chattering of her teeth as she stalks through the night can be heard throughout the countryside, giving villagers a warning to bolt their doors and stay hidden in their homes. So if you're ever outside at night and you like a... I don't know if that's gonna pick up on this little microphone. Like, teeth chattering? Like a, like when a cat sees a bird through a window, and they go... K-k-k-k-k-k-k. Yeah, well, if you hear that at night, that, that's probably her and she's gonna eat ya. Black Anise's taste for the flesh of children has been used by parents as a reason to keep their young ones in their home, and threats of her snatching them up have been uttered when they misbehave. She lurks in the shadows or sometimes waits in her old oak tree as she watches for prey to walk by so that she can fall upon them with her claws and then pull the flesh from their bodies and then eat it. The coolest thing about her uh, is that she actually tans the hides of her prey. She uses them like a hunter uses deer and she tans them and she wears them. Like accessories, by tying their skins around her waist to make a skirt, she has a human skin skirt. She adorns herself entirely with the flesh of her victims. All the clothes she has, human skin. Imagine it. Think about it. Like a patchwork leather jacket, but it's it's a uh, kid skin. Am I am I recording? my record and pause button was being a bit of a jank there. A bit of a dink, a janky dink. So that's what that was about. Sorry, there. That was probably weird. So it it, it isn't entirely clear where the Tales of Black Annis first began, but theories suggest that she may have evolved from a memory of a nun named Agnes Scott. Agnes Scott presided over a colony, which aided those who were sick, homeless, or afflicted with ailments, or various troubles. Crazy people, sick people, old people, you know, you know the type. So after Scott died, more violent and troubling stories were woven about her, to keep children in line. For a nun who dedicated her life to helping those less fortunate than herself, her memory being morphed into such a terrifying tale is actually a little bit sad. But another theory concerning the origins of the flesh hungry hag of Leicestershire, Le- Leicester- Leicestershire suggests that she is the remains of an old vengeful pagan goddess named Danu, or Anu, who is a Celtic goddess who mostly refer- who is mostly referred to as the Mother, and she is recognized as an ancestral being from whom humanity was born. Others associate her with the land. Little remains of stories or texts concerning Danu, but there may be a relation be- between her and Black Anis due to the region and the similarity of their names. Ultimately, Black Anis exists now as a sort of a bogeyman, just uh, a terrifying fictional thing. Extra terrifying, though. Like who came up with like wearing the skin of the children that she eats? A- anyway, uh. A terrifying story to keep children from wandering around at night and acting like dummies where they're going to get themselves hurt. The next witch that I would like to talk about uh, is a pretty popular one. Um, most people who are into this sort of thing, I'm sure that they've heard of her, but hopefully not in this way. I'm hope I'm hoping that I'm adding something new to it, and she is Slavic. I think specifically Russian, but I think like that entire area has a shared sort of mythology surrounding her. Anyway. She is damn near the archetypal witch, like if you think of a witch, you're probably thinking of her, and her name is Baba Yaga. Now she is powerful and terrifying, and she is depicted in Slavic folklore. She lives in a small hut, located deep in the forest. Her property is surrounded by a massive fence, which is decorated with human bones, as if they were ornamental wind chimes. Bone chimes again! bone buddy. Often, her hut is described as being set upon chicken legs, which is an unsettling image in any way that it has ever been illustrated. If you look it up, it's, it's a little weird looking, and it's weird looking in my head too. Her primary mode of transportation is a mortar and pestle set. Have, have you ever seen one of those? Uh, they're really common for the grinding of herbs, so it's basically a like a stone knob and a stone bowl, and it's made to like you ground, th- you grind things up in it using the stone knob in the bowl. Anyway, she sits in the bowl and she uses the knob like an oar to float through the night. This this uh, sort of. Um, description shows attention to the practice of alchemy or herbal work, which is an integral part of witchcraft. It's said that she appears as a long skeletal figure with an enormous hooked nose, which reaches the ceiling of her hut when she lays down. So imagine, she's laying on her back on the floor of her hut, and her nose is so large that it pokes the ceiling. See, if I were her, I her, I would build a bigger hut. Maybe it has to only be that small so that it can stand up on the chicken legs? I don't know, she seems like a smart lady. I'd figure something out, you know? Her legacy is as erratic as she is. She's often said to be the guardian of her dark and wild land, a matriarch, a wise teacher, and also a fickle and treacherous eater of men. The earliest recognizable mention of her is found in a Russian text written by Mikhail V. Lomonosov. Lomonosov, hope I pronounced that right. Um, in which he presents a series of tales from Solvic, Slavic tradition. Most surviving stories involving Baba Yaga don't revolve around her, but around heroes or villains who come into contact with her. I actually heard a really cool story recently about her. I believe it was on the podcast Myths and Legends, and if you like my shit, you'll like their shit. They're, they're way better at it. It's the same type of shit. And they were telling me, uh, telling me, uh, they were telling a story about how a young girl ended up having to go to Baba Yaga's house because her dad ended up marrying Baba Yaga's sister and Baba Yaga's sister hated the girl and so she sent her away to Baba Yaga's house in the hopes that she'd get eaten and murdered but she brought snacks for the cat and hung out with the slave girl that Baba Yaga was gonna eat and it it turned out okay in the end. That that was a really good story. I did not tell that well. Go listen to Myths and Legends if you want more of that. But that story really highlights uh, the different ways uh, in which this witch, <laughs> in which this witch, is represented and talked about in different stories. So I found it interesting. One of the most interesting details about Baba Yaga is that she is described as being neither malevolent nor good. Many folk tales throughout the centuries differentiate between witches as being either good or evil, but stories of Baba Yaga illuminate that the true nature of a witch is more ambiguous, or even unpredictable. The Slavic Crone is often helpful, willing to impart her wisdom unto those who seek it, but she is also a formidable enemy, should one incur her ire. Many times she has been credited with the success or the downfall of heroes in Slavic lore. Some tales uh, describe her as being more frightening than she appears in other tellings of her deeds, some say that she abducts and consumes those who wander in the forest, and that she tends to prefer the flesh of children, just like Our, our Lady Annis. Um, these stories draw a similarity between her and other witches of fol- folklore, like Black Annis and The Witch with the Candy House in the story of Hansel and Gretel. But Baba Yaga is unique, as it is never said that she seeks out victims for the purpose of consuming them. She tends to only eat those who are foolish enough to approach her or her home. So unlike Black Anis, who's wandering around at night, jittering her teeth like a crazy bitch, sticking her arms into people's houses, trying to snatch their children up, Baba Yaga just hangs out alone in the woods, and if you are so stupid that you are wandering through the Russian forest at night, alone, and you stumble upon her weird chicken legged house, and you actually walk up to it, then she'll eat ya. And I say fair enough. You know? You. 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 There was a lesson to be learned there. Others' stories imply that she lives with two sisters who share the same name, meaning that there are three separate but intertwined Baba Yagas. The depiction of her as part of an interconnected group of three highlights the significance of the trinity in folklore, mythology, religion, and even psychology. I I think Jung was really big into that, but he's a little bit of a weirdo. Groups of three are common throughout the cumulative consciousness of humanity, and is often found to be related to great supernatural power. Ahem. The Holy Trinity, etc. The Norns of Norse tradition, the Fates from Greek mythology, so on. So. Baba Yaga appearing as part of a trinity suggests that she's been recognized as an exceptionally powerful being. More than just a witch, more than just a scary lady in the woods, more of like a goddess, actually. And that's why I think she's super cool. for the night, or week, um, is another one from England, and her name is Jenny Greenteeth. She comes from a folk story from Lancashire and Merseyside. Hopefully I pronounced that right. I have not pronounced anything correctly in this entire episode, to my understanding. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Merseyside? Anyway, uh, Jenny Greenteeth is a witch who lives in the water. Skeet, uh. Skeet, skeet? Green teeth. I should apologize for that, but I'm not going to. Her skin is as green as the vegetation that makes her home such a welcoming hunting ground for her, and she is eager to snag children who wander too closely to the shore. She is named after her jagged, green teeth, like the algae covered roots of a tree. Jenny Greenteeth waits to use those gnarled fangs to feast upon the flesh of unsuspecting kids. It is said that her hair is like seaweed and her eyes glow beneath the surface of the lake, or canal, or river, or pond. The stories say that she watches from the depths to grab the ankles of a small passerby, drags them into the water and drowns them, then devours them. This version of her story makes her suit the description of a Grindelow, which is a malevolent water sprite, a sort of vicious fairy that lives in waterways. Other versions of her story suggest that Jenny Greenteeth lives in the forest, literally in the forest, as in making her home in the treetops. It's possible that this version of Jenny Greenteeth exists due to a miscommunication concerning the word Ginny Hewlett, which is an old folk name for owls. And owls do indeed love being in the treetops at night, so I guess that would make sense. Is it? it's a similar name? Uh, Old Lady Green Teeth is said to be particularly fond of bodies of water that are populated with duckweed, which explains why the layman name for duckweed is indeed Jenny Green Teeth. It is believed that the concern over a monster like herself existing in these waters is due to the way duckweed creates a solid layer of vegetation across the top of water, making it look like ground in the dark. This poses a serious threat for anyone wandering in the forest at night, because they may accidentally step into the water and find themselves deep deep down in there, possibly even caught in the muddy bottom. Heh <laughs> muddy bottom. Heh <laughs> heh, gross in this way, the story of the water witch, Jenny Greenteeth, has been used for centuries as another bogeyman, a terrible story to frighten children into acting safely and not putting themselves in danger. I mean, if if kids are in the habit of wandering off at night and fucking around in the woods, walking up on houses what got chicken legs as the foundation, um, checking out caves in the freaky hills, again, traipsing about near uh, fucking duckweed-covered waterways, all by moonlight, I mean, you need this sort of thing. (laughs) If they aren't going to understand you when you explain, hey, you're going to die out there, I mean, maybe telling them there's a crazy-ass witch that's going to eat them will get the point across. Maybe? Maybe? I don't know. I'm not a mother. I've never had to try to explain this to a child. Fun fact, the story of Jenny Greenteeth came to public consciousness in 2018, when a tourist took a photograph in a cemetery located in Liverpool and claimed that the image of a long-haired woman must have been Jenny Greenteeth. We all know how the internet likes to run away with claims like that, but it's more likely that it was just a regular old woman who happened to be hanging out in the back of the area that was photographed. Poor lady. <laughs> Especially considering the stories that say Jenny likes to stay in the water until a tasty meal arrives, it's not super likely that she was just hanging out in a cemetery. Unless she's like a ghoul and, and she'll eat uh, corpses. But I just completely made that up. Her, her stories say that she, she eats people in the water. She drags people down into the water by their ankles, drowns them, and eats them. What what purpose would a cemetery do for her? It wouldn't do her any good. That's not her kind of meal. It's not what her her opinion of a good dinner date is. I, however, would like to have a dinner date in a cemetery. So call me fake Jenny Greenteeth. Uh take me to a picnic. Well, in this case, the da- the danger is just the water and the mud, like in, in all practical senses. Uh, it seems to serve the same function as the Inuit stories of Kalupalik, and I've I've written about her. I'll probably I'll probably make an episode on her too. She's in a sense um, an Inuit version of a mermaid. She lives along the shores of Arctic water, so where it's cold and the water's an asshole and the wind is an asshole and if you fall off of the shore in that sort of environment, you're gonna have a bad time. So the Inuit people made a story about their version of a mermaid and they say that she reaches up out of the water, grabs kids from the shore, and pulls them down in and eats them. So, essentially exactly the same as Jenny Greenteeth, but in the nasty cold ocean instead of duckweed-covered ponds. In popular culture, uh, she's been springing up for almost 30 years, Jenny Greenteeth has. There was a film made by Ridley Scott in 1985 called Legend, which features a lake monster called Meg Mucklebones, <laughs> who was inspired by the story of Jenny Greenteeth. Anyway, Uh, The point of this story is stay away from the water kids, or at least bring your floaties.